Amen. Have a seat, grab your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, after 20 plus weeks in this series, we're going to start over. I've enjoyed it so much, we're just going all the way back to the beginning. Revelation chapter 1. But I do feel compelled, whether it's because we weren't here last week and we were up on the mountain, or just because the last few weeks of the series have been extra heavy as we see God's just judgment poured out on the world, on those people that didn't um, that don't claim Christ and the judgment that was played on, poured out on him, um, I just felt like it was a good thing to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. So in Revelation 1, 1, literally we're starting back at the beginning. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated, to, to, communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Guys, we get a blessing. We have been blessed just in reading and hearing and then obeying the words of this prophecy. That is the promise here, five months ago, we started there. And I will resist every urge in my body to go back and explain what all those beautiful truths are that we just read. And instead, we'll jump to verse 12. And it says, And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, like that had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. We are seeing the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That is what revelation is. It is seeing the world through spiritual eyes. Right? It, this is not what Jesus really looks like, but this is who Jesus really is. Why does Jesus reveal himself to John this way? Because John is speaking to a people that are persecuted, that are, that are longing for his return, and he hasn't come back. And he's giving them hope by saying, John, look at me. Jeff, look at me. David, look at me. Doug, look at me. Don't you know that I know your problems? Don't you know that I know that you're mentally exhausted or that you sometimes feel alone in life? Don't you know that your family might be Don't you know that I know that your family might be struggling? Don't you know that I know all things that every hair on your head has been numbered? Look at me. Get your eyes off of your problems and off of the whys of this world and fixate them on me, John. Fixate them on me, Doug, and watch those problems melt away like the mountains will melt away like wax before me when I come back. That's why we have to remind ourselves of the truth of who Christ is. Guys, when we're going through hard times, when we're struggling, and we all do, we all will, we don't need a life coach. We don't need a good counselor, 
Right? We need a risen Lord and Savior who is all-powerful. We have turned Jesus into a homeless man who has a little bit of wisdom. And because of that, we can worship him in very flippant ways. But that's not who he is. He is saying, I am the God who is. I am the God who was and who will come. But I am the God who is in your present life right now. And you're my bride. And I've, gonna, I've done a lot of work to make you ready. Guys, our, we might be comforted in our hour of need by a friend who gives us a hug and, and you know, just comforts us and speaks words of love to us. And, and that's a good thing, and I need that in my life. We all need that in our lives. But ultimately, our real comfort comes from a friend who that we know is all-powerful. And he says, no matter what's going on in your life, I got this covered. And we know, because of who he is, that's true. And that's who Jesus is. He's the friend who you have, who no matter what is going on in your life, looks at you and says, I got that covered. And he's powerful enough to do it. We've been in this series for a while now, and, and about four months ago, we had um, seven different men go through seven the seven churches, a bride made ready. Today we're looking at a bride made ready for real. Because what we've seen since those messages in, in Revelation 2 and 3 is a whole lot of wrath being poured out on the world as God rightly judges sin and also tries to wake the world up to turn to his son and cry out to him. Over and over we've seen these moments of grace. But in his first coming, Christ inaugurated the church. He, he, he said, it is finished. The church age begins. And when he comes again, he is going to consummate or complete us. We are stuck in this already finished, it is done, but, or it is finished, but not quite yet done because he hasn't returned yet. And what we're going to look at today is what it looks like when it is finally done. So here's the question. What does it take for you to be made ready? What does it take for you to be made ready? If you're up at the retreat, it sounds really similar to what we talked about last week, and that's on purpose. Turn to Revelation 19, and we're going to look at the 10 verses in chapter 19 today, and we'll finish the chapter, uh, Lord willing, and go into chapter 20 next week. But we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 19 today, and we're going to see that he says, ready or not, here I come. That's our first point. Ready or not, here I come. John writes, after these things I heard something like, the loud, like a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. A second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Guys, is it wrong for God's people in heaven to be going, yes, finally she gets what's due her? The answer is no. Back in Revelation 6, we saw these same people crying out, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to wait before you bring justice? And now they've seen it. All those chapters that we looked at, verses, or chapter 6 on through chapter 18, we saw him bringing his just judgment on a world that is choosing over and over again to reject him, to deny his existence. God's people are crying out, when is the time? And Jesus is answering now. 
And that's what we're going to look at today. Don't you think if you were in heaven and you were looking down that you'd be like, you'd be going, uh, would you not also be celebrating that finally the great consummation is going to come and we're all going to be back together again? Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Amen, amen. Guys, but until that day comes, let us be living for His glory. Like, let's not just be sitting back waiting for Him to lower the boom. Because when that day comes, it's too late for those people who have not come into the kingdom. Who have not been invited into the family of God. As Jeff was reminding us of, of just doing something as simple as praying, God, who could I begin a gospel conversation relationship with that ultimately I might say, hey, you know what, here's what my bracelet means. I'd love for this to be true in your life. That you're ready. Right? That's how the gospel will go forward. Ultimately, what they're doing is they, the, the, the people in heaven right now, they are quoting Old Testament Scripture. They're using a very distinct Old Testament word, hallelujah. It's just a transliteration of the, of the Hebrew word hallelujah or hallelujah in the Old Testament. This is the only place, this part of Revelation 19 is the, is the only place in all of the New Testament that the word hallelujah is used. That's significant. Why? Because what God, it's used 20-something times in the Old Testament. What God is doing is He's saying, hey, all of that story that starts way back here in the beginning, in the beginning God, moved through the Old Testament, through the Gospels, through Pentecost, hit all the church age. He's saying it's all coming to, to a close right now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because that's what hallelujah means. It means praise ye Yahweh. That's what hallelujah means. And that's why he is inspiring, the, or the people in heaven are singing it out. They're saying God's story is coming to a completion, and now the rest of the story begins. And this is really when it gets fun for those of us that are in Christ. Everything in all of history, everything in all of God's Word, everything that has ever existed has been moving very intentionally forward by God to this point in Revelation 19. And we get the blessing of getting to see it. Look at verses 4 and 5. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God and he who sits on the throne and saying, Amen, hallelujah. There's that word again. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, small and great. Why do we give praise? Listen to what Peter tells us. We say, praise ye Yahweh, because we know he's in complete control. Because in the end, we're like, man, this is not just a story. This isn't a fairy tale. This is the truth. And I see it being lived out through me and in me, and I see it being played out all over the world. But all of this, all of the here and now, guys, is premarital counseling for something that is to come. If we don't understand that, we won't get why we go through struggles and trials, why we experience joy and, and, and just blessing, because if, if we don't get that all of this is premarital counseling, all of life is premarital counseling for the marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come, for all of eternity, then we're missing the, the big why behind why any of it is happening. 
So that's part of why we talked about, and, and up at the retreat, we, we asked you guys, wear your shirts. Live ready. Are we ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you? It's because we want to invite as many people as possible into that reality before it's too late. Because ready or not, here he comes. Ready or not, here he comes. Listen to how Paul exhorts the church in Colossae. Because do you get that? When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him and we will be like him because we will see him for what he really is. That is why we need to keep looking up. That's why we need to boldly say, I'm ready. Not because of anything I've done, but because of who he is. And that's our second point. For a bride, has his bride has made herself ready. Look at verses 6 through 8. It says, Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of a mighty pearl of thunder saying hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it is given to her to clothe herself in fine linen bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints guys this bride language is found throughout scripture but it's hard for us to relate to sometimes. So I thought we'd do something a little fun and a little different today, and that is I'm going to have two of our recent brides come up and share a few minutes each about what it was like to prepare for the bridegroom. Karis and Cambria, I'm not sure who's going. Karis, it looks like you're going first, and I'm guessing this mic is the mic they're using? Okay. I will put my, get my junk out of the way. Oh. All right. Hello, Cornerstone family. Um, I'm Karis, for those of you who I haven't gotten the pleasure to meet. Um, I'm married to Mark Abril. We got married in um, May, so we just celebrated five months of being married. So this bride thing is still very new and fresh on my mind. To start off with, I'd like to read a passage that was in the weekly reading um, that kind of started me thinking about what I wanted to share with you guys today. And that's from Mark 13, 32 through 33. Now, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. And I'd like to share with you a little bit about the long-term preparation for being a bride. I didn't know when the time was coming. I had no idea when God would bring the special man into my life. But I did a few things to help prepare me the best I knew how for when that time came. And one of those things was the decision not to date in high school. Um, I read a book early on when I was about 13 and I just decided you know what, I don't need to waste my time doing that in high school. I need to focus and devote that time to God and getting to know him. Um, and so that just was, as I was thinking back on that, I related it to us that we need to focus on Christ and not get distracted by the things of this world. It's not worth it. 
so just that part of setting myself apart from the dating scene reminded me of Deuteronomy 14.2, which says, you have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God. And also Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The second thing that I resolved to do as a single woman to prepare myself in the future for my husband was I made a decision to educate myself. Now that might sound kind of weird, but um, I did all I could to just educate myself about being a wife and being a mom and what that might look like. I read books, but the most important thing that I did was use that time to be in God's word and find out the characteristics of a godly person because I could read all the books in the world and there was some good ones, but if I didn't know Christ and I wasn't developing those godly characters from a young age, I wouldn't be a good single person, I wouldn't be a good wife, I would, you know, I would be saved but not living the full life that God wants for all of us. And just educating myself, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul writes, we do not want you to be uninformed. And that is Christ's heart for us, is he doesn't want us to be uninformed about who he is in his word. And the final thing that I'd like to share with you, the decision and resolution that I made as a young person looking forward to my future spouse is a decision to pray for my future husband. Just as we are to pray for Christ's return. And we see Paul and John in the Bible pray this prayer. Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 21, he says, Maranatha, that is, Lord, come. And John in Revelation 22:20, 20, he says, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. One of the things that I did to pray and to help myself just keep focused on my future husband and remind myself that he was coming someday. <laughs> it was 28 years, but he, he did come. <laughs> um, as I wrote letters, I wrote journal entries and prayers that I gave to Mark um, the night of our wedding. And so I would just like to share a little snippet of one of those letters, just as showing what our hearts should be as we wait for God. To the one my heart desires, another year has passed for me. I am now 17. It would be 11 years until this letter gets read again. <laughs> it brings to mind a question. How much longer until my heart is enraptured by you? I do dearly want to experience life and serve God during my single years, but I look ahead to the day of our union with pleasure. God delights in perfect timing and will bring us together at exactly the right moment. Until then, I remain yours always, Karis. And I just think that should be our heart and desire for Christ's return. Thanks. Hi guys, I'm Cambria Morris. I'm married to Kyle. Um, 
something that I did to kind of get prepared for talking about this was just going through a rundown of the things that we did before we got married. Um, and we didn't have a whole lot of time between our engagement and our wedding. <laughs> and for those of you that know the story, we were really good friends for quite a few months. Um, but from the start of our engagement, our heart's desire was to bring God glory through our wedding and through our union. Um, but in order for that to take place, um, the Lord knew that he had to kind of sift through some stuff in my heart and in my life. And so one of the ways that he did that was he started by um, telling me that he was gonna make a change in my heart. And that started with premarital counseling. <laughs> so when we sat down with Doug and Carrie, we only had about four meetings, cause like I said, it was a very short engagement. Um, we had like four meetings and three of the four meetings, I like cried my eyeballs out like the whole time. <laughs> um, but it was because the Lord was using them and using my husband to ask those hard questions that I wouldn't have thought to ask before um, I got married and making sure that my heart was in the right place and that I knew why I was marrying him and it was to give God glory, not just because, oh, I'm gonna fall in love and have a husband and a family someday. Um, and to follow that, I was blessed to experience biblical marriages so we were encouraged um, during our engagement to sit down with couples um, in the church. So we had the awesome privilege to sit down with the Teutons and with the Keys. Um, and it was awesome to be able to experience life from their perspective um, with so much joy in the Teuton house. Me and Kyle left there. Our cheeks were hurting because we were smiling so much from the joy that they brought into our lives telling glory stories all night and hearing songs and um, also being able to sit with the keys and receive some wisdom from them as far as financial and um, just speaking to each other in a kind way and just the wisdom that comes from that but along with that even just me coming to cornerstone i grew up in a lot of different kinds of churches i before I was here, I was at a mega church, <laughs> and you don't really have community there like you do here. Um, and so I can say that the one thing that really stood out to me was the presence of biblical marriages here. And I want to encourage every single one of you that are married, that you are making a difference to us young people that are looking to get married. So please keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, the third thing was coming to terms with what being a biblical wife is and how it's very counterculture. Um, in my generation, there's a lot of pressure for women is the new man. We are the feminists. The endless amount of women wanting to be in charge and just learning through premarital counseling that it all points back to the fall and how we're constantly striving and pushing to be at the top and be the leader and that's not what God designed. Um, so just him changing my heart in that and knowing that I grew up in a very different home, um, but being able to live that truth through my marriage was a big deal. And um, finally, the 
fun part, celebrating God through our union as husband and wife, through the truth of God's word, through communion, and through prayer. Um, we wanted to incorporate God as much as we could into our wedding, and all of my unsaved family knew that the Lord was there. <laughs> so that was awesome. Um, but yeah, we wanted to make sure that God was the focal point because he is the reason that we were brought together. We wanted to have an opportunity for people and family to come and take communion if they hadn't done that, to accept Christ into their heart. Um, and just to be prayed over at our wedding was the biggest blessing ever. Um, so I wanna thank those of you that did that as well. And in closing, I wanted to share a verse that Doug spoke over me and Kyle. It's uh, Micah 6.8, and it says, but he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just, be compassionate and loyal in your love, and don't take yourself too seriously, but take God seriously. Thank you. Oh. Wow, um, yeah, thank, thank you, wow. yeah. Maybe it's because I have three daughters, I don't know, but. <sighs> um, when I first approached them about doing this, whether it was at worship practice at our house, I'm getting ready for retreat or up at retreat, their eyes got really big and they were like, uh, and, and honestly so did mine, because I was like, uh, I don't really know if this is a good idea. I just, God gave me this idea as I was hiking the mountain the other morning and I'm thinking maybe it's a good idea. Um, and it was awesome. Ladies, wherever you are, thank you guys. Seriously, way better. Um, but, but here's why. Because we are them. Like, we are them. We are the bride of Christ. And all those things that they talked about are true for us, but it's hard for us in this bride language in the Bible, especially for us dudes, to try to get that. Like, what does that mean to be a, the bride of Christ? So let's go back to our passage, and in the time I have left, I'm just going gonna, gonna to share some quick truths. So I'm in Revelation 19, right? Um, probably, yeah. And I'm going to look at verses 7 and 8 again. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, the church, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Isn't it interesting, the righteous acts of the saints? I know it was a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, but compared to the darkness that was Babylon and the harlot, right? Like there's this massive comparison John is making between this righteous, clean, white, pure as you know, snow church in the darkness of the world. The second thing I want to point out is it says there are two things here that I just want to make really clear. When it says the bride has made herself ready, in the Greek, that word is actually in the active voice. That means we are to do it. It is a command in Scripture for in this place. John is saying, make yourself ready. We have a role to play in our readiness. Just like Karis and Cambria did, they had a role to play in their getting ready. But here's the other part. When he says, it has been given to her to clothe herself. In the Greek, that's in what's called the passive. That means that it's being done to you outside of your control. So we are to make ourselves ready even as he clothes us. Does that make sense? It's this great mystery of we have a role to play even though it is God who makes it even possible for us to play the role. That's ultimately what he's saying, is we have a role to play as the bride, just like Karis and Cambria did, but it is God's power in them 
in Karis and Cambria and in us that make it possible for us to even want to be ready. And, oh, by the way, in this particular case, when he talks about clothing us in righteousness, whose righteousness is he clothing us in? Christ's righteousness. In Isaiah 61.10, he makes this clear. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Now get this. As a bridegroom decks himself with garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Guys, in the old, back in, back in the days of John, back in Bible times, but, but honestly up until fairly recently, I mean, you see this in movies like Pride and Prejudice that were, when was that set? 1800, something like that? Um, when was that set? 1800s, or you see it in, um, in, in, in um, there's this idea that, that in order for, a, if a man wanted to marry a woman, there was a dowry that had to be paid, a bride price, right? And ultimately what we're seeing here is, oh, by the way, Christ is the one who paid the dowry. He paid the price for us. That's what the cross signifies. It, it, it blew my mind as I'm thinking through all this bride language and, and groom. And God the Father wanted to give a bride to his son, Jesus Christ. But there's no way anyone would have been worthy, right? So the son looks at the father and says, I want a bride. And oh, by the way, I will pay the price for her worthiness. And he does it on the cross. That's what it is is finished means. The next time you hear the words, it is finished, I want you to think the bride price has been paid. Right? There's nothing left. to and, and once that price has been paid, there was nothing to stop the consummation of the marriage, which is still true for us today. So ready or not, here he comes, for the bride has made herself ready, even as he makes us ready. Today's question was, what does it take for us to be made ready? Here's the final and most important point. By the grace that washes us white as snow. Guys, what, what does it take for us to be made ready? It takes grace. It takes, the, it takes the grace of a son saying, Dad, I will pay the full price for the bride you want me to have. The writer of Hebrews tells us why we wait. Listen to Hebrews 9. Amen. The father wanted to give a bride to his son. The son was willing to pay the price, and the result is grace to us. Look at verses 9 and 10, and we finish up the passage with this. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, I, I'm not, yeah, just, uh. Guys, that we are invited to the very throne of God. We are invited to the table of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us not settle for making mud pies. Guys, don't dabble in darkness when you're invited into the light and to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, those are the true words of God. And I fell down at my feet to worship him. This is the angel that's talking to him. And the angel says to him, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren. Like, it was what we talked about back in the Daniel's time, in our time in Daniel. It's, man, they're, they're just, we're all on the same team. He's like, don't be like that. I'm like you. He said, I hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Guys, as we go into our time of response, don't close your Bibles yet, and the music team's not going to come up, but I want to ask, I want to, one of the, the last table talk question on your connecting point says this, how is anyone made ready? It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are on the back of your connecting points if you didn't know that. Who are some people God has placed in your life that you might grace them with the eternity-altering message of the gospel? Who are some people that God has placed in your life between, especially now that we're entering into the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's a time where people's hearts are more receptive to the gospel. Who are some people that God has placed in your life that you can look at them and say, I'm ready or you. I'm ready not because of me. I'm a sinner, but I am saved by grace. So Christ sees me as a saint because he has wrapped me with his robes of righteousness. I am invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And man, I'd sure love to sit down and have dinner with you when that day comes. Why don't you come with me? Now, guys, I want to show you, I want Christ, in the time that we don't have left, I want to show you the, how Christ not only tells us this is what it looks like to be ready, what it takes to be ready, but here's what it looks like to live ready. So if you would, last, we're done in Revelation for today, turn to John 13. Go to the left of your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And I'm just going to, as, as best as I am able... With, with little or no comment, well, I know there'll be commentary. With little commentary, I'm going to let Jesus show us what it looks like to live ready. John 13, starting in verse 1. It says, now, before the feast of Passover, so this is them in the upper room. I've obviously skipped this. So this is, he and his disciples have gone to the upper room for the final, for, what, for the Lord's Supper, for the last Passover. The next step for him is they're going to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested and the cross lays before him in less than 24 hours. And it says, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, that's us, who are in the world, he loved them to the end. That means to the extreme. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So Jesus knows who's at the table with him. He knows what's about to come. Remember that as I keep reading. Jesus, knowing the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper. He's the servant. He's not waiting to be served. This is what it looks like to live ready. He, he gets up. Why? He's king of kings and lord of lords. Why are they not serving him? He gets up. He lays aside his garments. Guys, he lays aside his pride. If there's one person who's ever walked the planet who has the right to be prideful, it is the God-man Jesus Christ. And he lays aside his pride. To do this, he takes a towel and he girds himself. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, including who? Judas. Guys, he could have waited for Judas to leave the room before he washed his disciples' feet. Because Judas does leave. He intentionally does it while Judas is in the room. And this is not some, I've heard this taught as some backward slap at Judas's face. Shame on the people who teach that that way. That is not the heart of our Savior. He loves those who persecute him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
His heart was breaking for Judas. Does my heart break for those people that I feel like have wronged me? When I feel slighted, is my attitude, oh, I hurt for them. He wipes their feet with a towel, and then, he, and then he came to Simon Peter. So he's going around the table. He comes to Simon Peter, who apparently has no internal voice. Everything he thinks he says out loud, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what you do not realize now, you will understand later. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. He's still not getting it. Jesus answered, if I don't wash your feet, son, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter says, in typical Simon Peter fashion, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my head and my hands. He's like, then bring it all. Baptize me. He's like, yeah, no, that's not where we're going either, Peter. <laughs> Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Interestingly, because of the way he treated Judas, none of them knew who he was talking about. So when he washed their feet and had taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also to wa ought to wash one another's feet. For, he gave, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. That's what it looks like to live ready. What does it take? It takes him washing the filth off of us, which he did on the cross. And what does it look like? It looks like getting on your knees and serving the very people who are spitting in your face. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. It's like as if to drive the point home. He's like, gentlemen, church, bride, before I come, here's how you're supposed to live. I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. So you're not greater than I am, nor is one who is sent. That's us, greater than the one who sent him. That's Christ. If you know this, you are blessed. If you do it. That's what it looks like to live ready. So are we ready? How are we doing at living ready if that's what living ready looks like? Because that is what real worship is. Real worship is getting on your knees and washing the filth off of the very people who would like to persecute you. Blessed are you when you are persecuted on the count of me, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they say all kinds of evil things against you for my sake, for your treasure in heaven is going to be amazing. Guys, let's live laying up treasure by washing the feet of the people we deem unlovable. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth of the grace that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the, for the reality that we cannot do it, that, that although we are to live ready, it's not in our strength because you, it was given to us by you to clothe us in your righteousness. Lord, I pray for those that don't know what it looks like to have the, the robes of righteousness wrapped around them. 
whether it's because they've never felt that embrace by you, Lord, I pray right now that today would be the day that they would feel the embrace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But maybe it's because um, they, are, they, they do have your robe, but somehow they left it hanging on a hanger because they're trying to live out their lives in their own strength. Lord, I pray that we would just follow your example. And as we do, that we would be able to praise you saying, I am never more like Christ than when I choose to forgive those who I deem unforgivable. I, I pray that you would help us to, to see that, that, you are pr- that it is in those moments, like a cookie cutter cutting into a cookie dough, you are pressing your image into us. Let us not run from those things. Let us run to those opportunities. And Lord, let it all be to one end. And that would be to the fame and the glory of your name as as that kind of gospel truth goes out to a world that needs to see the gospel light. That they would point it back to because we are pointing it back to. This is not me. This is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Lord, we have perfect hope. Because you will finish what you started in us. In Jesus' name, amen.